When you become a Christian, you're you're standing. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to struggle with it anymore. Yes, your your performance, you still do sin. But in his eyes, you're 100% perfect. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. This is a podcast containing content of people whose lives are addicted to the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin-forgiving death and the hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and I am a gospel addict. One of the closest disciples of Jesus, Peter, ended his second letter that he wrote to believers with an interesting statement. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when I say I'm a gospel addict, I mean that the good news of Jesus or the gospel has not only saved me, but it's the same good news that continues to change me from the inside out helping me become the best version of my true self. And that's what Peter is saying to all believers when he instructs us to grow in grace. I'm joined once again with my good friend, Jim Reske, and we're going to talk about the topic we're calling standing. But before we dive in, I have a new segment that I want to add to the show and then that I will get to in a minute. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Craig. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Jim, I've got some good news. We have listeners from over 16 different countries, including the United States of America. One of the most popular countries is Australia. So we ought to be thinking about planning our trip to Australia sometime. (laughs) Research. Yeah, we got to get down there and meet some of these folks and find out who's listening to our podcast. But Australia, France, India, those are the top three. Then we have Brazil, Germany, Guatemala is a new one. Wow. Austria, not Australia, Austria. but Austria has, yes. a, has people listening. Ghana, Switzerland, Ireland, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, Russia, and then a, a big country in East Asia. Okay. People from all those countries are listening to us. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. So big shout out to our new listeners, wherever you may be. Our new, give a little, uh, uh, welcome this to the, the listener in Austria, just, just to pick one. So welcome listener in Austria and everywhere else. That's uh, that's really cool. Yeah. So before we get to our topic, I want to introduce a new segment to the show that I'm calling Sticky Jokes and Sticky Quotes. And these, okay. are, these are jokes that, Jim, that maybe you and I have heard that are kind of like they stick with you. Right. You know? in, a, in a good way. In a good in a good way, they may be or maybe not jokes, dumb jokes. And the same with the quotes. So I'm gonna share a sticky joke and a sticky quote. And then Jim, I'm gonna see if you have anything you want to okay. share. Okay. Um, so here's my joke. Jim, have you ever heard this one? Where does the king keep his armies? I don't know, Greg. Where does the king keep his armies? Down his sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> I used okay. to I, <laughs> How old were you when you first heard that joke? Well, you know, age is just a number. You know age I mean? is just a number. That's right. That's right. I'm thinking that's but, like a 
second or third grade kind of joke that's like hilarious when you're grade school. That's just that's that's on the school bus. That's hilarious. I had the funnest time teaching my children that joke. Where does the king keep his armies down his sleeves? I just think that that is the funniest joke, and it still makes me laugh. And that's the thing about when people find me laughing. Usually, I'm laughing at my own jokes. <laughs> but at least if I'm laughing at them, at least, at least know, they one. say they say laughter is is medicine for the soul. Right. At least my soul is being healed. Right. Um, even if I'm the only one laughing at my own jokes. So that's my joke. Nice. My quote. My quote is a quote from a good friend of mine who is now with the Lord. His name is Jerry Bridges. And I just made that, I just shared that verse about grace. And he has this quote that is, I just love it. He says this, our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. Wow. Boy, that's really good. Isn't that a good quote? It's the kind of thing Jerry Bridges would write. I mean, that's brilliant. I think it is a quote from one of his books that he wrote. You should say it again. You should say it again because it goes by so fast. That's, that's really good. Our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. That's and that kind, of, that kind of reminds me of why I'm a gospel addict is because mm. I need the grace of God no matter whether my days are good or whether my days are bad, yeah, you know, not just for my salvation, but also for my sanctification. Yeah, I know. I was talking to my kids today about this. I forget what we were talking about exactly, what religion or what it was. I said, I just don't need good advice. Uh, like all the other religions are just good advice. I said, I need wholesale salvation. You know, I don't, I need someone to give me some tips for living. I need, you know, that doesn't help a wretch like me, a, a sinner like me. I need wholesale salvation. And you just, you can't find it anywhere but the cross. That makes me a gospel attitude, Greg. Jim, do you have a joke or a quote that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I, I don't think I can top that joke, Greg. Not tonight. Maybe I'll, I'll do some research and have to dig deeper and come back to you with a better joke. The, I love the idea of this segment. It's a nice way to start off. I do have a quote, though. I think it kind of fits in with this whole topic of standing that we'll be talking tonight. And it's a quote. It's a hymn that I don't. It's not a hymn I grew up with, but it is a Christian hymn, and it's one that Tim Keller quotes a lot in his sermons, and I think it kind of, uh, that's how I heard of it. It must have been a hymn that he was familiar with. I think the name of the hymn is It Is Finished by James Proctor, and the uh, quote says, it's the last line of the hymn, and it says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus's feet, and stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. That's a great quote. And I think it actually ties in right with our topic. So let's yeah. uh, let's let's start talking about it. Yeah, so today we're we're going to talk about the topic of standing. So when you say the word standing, what exactly are you meaning? Yeah, let's just to kind of define it first, then we can talk, kind of talk about how we get there. But the basic idea of standing is what is your standing, your position in God's eyes right now as you live your Christian life, and a lot of your Christian life is going to be driven by the way you answer that question, the way you conceptualize that. And so if you think my standing in him, the way he sees me is, is, is iffy, and I'm not sure about it. I can't be sure about it. And it'll just change the way you approach your Christian life. And the whole idea, we'll get to this, and, but to kind of get right to the punchline right to the end is that your standing in him when you're a Christian is 100% complete. He looks at you right now with all the delight with which he looks at his own son, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian. 
and your standing is sure. You don't have to guess. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. Your standing is 100% complete. Okay, so I believe that. But Jim, why are so many Christians miserable? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I think, you know, maybe I'll back up even, Greg. I think lots of people are miserable because even as we say these words, nothing else in this world offers this, right? So you think about just fields of human endeavor. Everything is performance-based, everything you do. Let's say you're a musician, right? Every time you perform, it's performance-based. You're doing well. Are you rising up the charts? Are you, are you uh, are people accepting your music? If you're an athlete, are you you know, performing? You've got to keep performing. You've got to keep performing to stay on the team and to make the next level. Everything is performance-based. You're always trying to live up to people's expectations. You're always wondering how you, where you stand. You have to keep keep meeting expectations and keep doing that. And then religions become like that. Every religion's like that. It says, here's the rules, you got to follow it. And I think in most religions, you don't never really know that you're good enough. You try. It's that scale of one to 10 we were talking about. You think, oh, maybe I'm a seven today, or maybe I'm an eight. You, you keep climbing up, you know, that ladder of whatever religion you're in, but you never really know if you made it. And then you come to Christianity, and Christianity is supposed to say, look, God saves you by his grace. God completely wipes your sins away. That's the whole point of Christianity. Jesus paid the price of your of all those sins on the cross and wiped those sins away. You, and you say, oh, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I remember like when I first became a believer, thinking the, the un- unbelievable joy of that. And you meet somebody who's just accepted Christ and they're just, they're just glowing and beaming, the joy of that. You feel it. He's, he's washed all my sins away. But then you meet a lot of Christians who've lived the Christian life for a while and they're miserable. And I think it's because they kind of fall back that way in that performance kind of mindset. And it's just deadening. It's just uh, saps all the joy away. And then they're they're saying, yeah, I know, I guess I'm saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Absolutely. I'm saved by what Jesus did on the cross, but I I still don't know what God thinks of me right now. And they're, they're standing in his eyes is unsure. And that makes them miserable. I think that the default mode of the human heart is performance. Yeah. Or work driven. And I think that goes all the way back to the garden. What happened in the garden? Oh, really? How so? Shortly after Adam and Eve rebelled against God and disobeyed his command, do you remember what they did? They tried to cover themselves up. Mm -hmm. And so they, they were immediately trying to cover themselves up. They were trying to become acceptable again in God's eyes. Right. If you remember what happens, I think it's in Genesis 3, verse 21. It says that the Lord sacrificed an animal and made skins and and used the animal skins to cover them. Mm. So in other words, what they did, what they were trying to do to cover themselves up wasn't adequate. There had to be a sacrifice is only what God could do for them that made them acceptable to God. Wow. And then if you think about what God said, the result of the fall, like man is going to work and work and work and sweat and sweat and sweat, but never be satisfied. Yeah. Point of this is that both the man and the woman should find their identity and standing in God. Yeah. So I think maybe what you're saying is anything you find your identity in, we're always doomed to find our identity in something. So Christianity makes this offer. It says, you can find your identity in Christ. God says, I can give you 100% complete standing in me. And in other words, I can wipe all those sins away and give you the security of knowing that I accept you completely. And people say, no, I don't want that offer. Remember a couple of podcasts ago, we were saying, people don't, they reject the offer. I don't know. We can't understand it. Why would someone reject that offer? But people do. 
But then if you do reject that offer, you're doomed because you're going to find it in something else that's going to lord it over you. You know, when I was, um, it, it's just different stages in my career trying to climb the you know, corporate ladder. Everything is performance-based. And if you didn't perform, you're just, you're chewed up and spit out, you know, uh, you know, get out, we'll get somebody else. And you, you can say, I don't want the offer of Christianity, but, uh, I've got, I've got, but then whatever else you turn to, to form your identity, your standing in that thing is never going to be secure. It's never going to be secure. And it, once you get there, you'll, you never know if it's enough. And even if you get to the top, you're not there for very long until you're toppled off. Nothing, nothing else, no other religion and no other, nothing else that's irreligious. No one else makes this offer. Why does this happen? I think it ties into your single line paradigm. Again, the default setting is that we want to see Christian growth as a single line. Right. Flesh that out for us. Yeah, sure. So we talked about this a couple of times. It's always hard in an, on an audio podcast to talk about something that's graphical and an image, but we did it a few podcasts ago and trying to contest, contrast gospel-driven transformation with what we were calling the single line paradigm. And the single line is just a, a little graph where time is on the horizontal axis and holiness is on the vertical axis or goodness is on the vertical axis. And there's a diagonal line that starts right where the two lines meet and goes 45 degrees up and to the right. And that's the basic diagram. And people will look at their Christian life and say, first of all, that's the diagram for every religion. That's what we were saying. You know, that your basic point is to follow the rules and climb that ladder, climb that single line and become better and better over time. And whenever we talk about rating yourself like a zero to 10, it's always thinking of yourself as somewhere along that line. And that's my point about, you know, if you say, I don't, I don't believe in religion, I don't believe in Christianity or any other religion, well, fine, then you're going to find yourself on some other line somewhere in your career, in your, you know, uh, whatever you're doing, uh, you're going to find yourself on some other line somewhere that's always evaluating you, and you never know you measure up. It's just, everything's like that. But in Christianity, people say, no, it's different. There's a little cross at the beginning of the line that starts me off. But that's not the right way to look at the gospel of the Christian life, because that says the gospel starts me off and the rest is up to me. And so people, if people, and that's why I've been so excited about this book and this whole concept and the illustration that you showed me years ago, Greg, because if people take that paradigm for their Christian life and they say, the gospel starts me out, but then I've, it's up to me to climb that line. And we mentioned this before, but people will say, well, um, you know, don't you want to hear those words when you get to heaven? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's supposed to be some inspiring line that gets you to, compels you to climb up the line farther, but it makes it worse because you say, I don't know if I'm going to hear those words. Well done, a good and faithful servant. I never know if I'm measuring up. And, if, and it's all because you have the wrong paradigm. And so if you have that, that, if you're looking at that single line, you're saying, yeah, he started me, but that's up to me now. And I've got to keep going. I never know if I measure up. That's why there's so many miserable Christians out there because they don't really get the gospel and how the gospel changes everything. What are some of the passages in scripture that really teach this idea of standing that we should, we should reflect on? You know, one we talked about or briefly mentioned a while ago, but let me tease that a little more, is uh, Romans 7. And I just think this is so great for me. And it's familiar to a lot of Christians. Uh, it's the, the end of Romans 7. Paul is kind of talking about himself and he talks about his own performance. And uh, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll just say, Here's like Romans 7, verse 18. It says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
And I do not, he says, verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. I know people that have the single line paradigm for the Christian life that have looked at that verse and they'll say, well, that just means, you know, progress is lumpy and you just got to keep trying. And Paul's just talking about the struggle of climbing up the line. I don't think Paul's saying that at all. Paul's saying I, my, my own sinful nature is still there, but that's not what gives me my standing. Well, what gives me my standing is what God says in his eyes is that when I become a Christian, I accept Christ. God doesn't look at my own performance anymore. He declares me righteous at that moment and says, you are completely righteous. And the key to that is if you just skip a few verses ahead, Romans 8, verse 1. Right after Paul writes this whole section about how he struggles and how he's looking at my spiritual performance, I have all kinds of troubles. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, he's saying, you're, you, when you become a Christian, you're, you're standing. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to struggle with it anymore. Yes, your, your performance, you still do sin. But in his eyes, you're 100% perfect. And that phrase, in Christ Jesus, Paul writes about that all the time in many of his books, being, being in Christ. And right. that's your standing, Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and then um, we should go to another verse. Here's another section in Romans as well. It's a few chapters early. It's in Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. And these are just great verses. It just says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though for perhaps, perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. And this is Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he knew what we, what we were like. He didn't wait for us to be perfect. He died for us anyway. That's the good news, man. That's the gospel. That's so profound when you consider the God who created the whole universe, the universe that, you know, we, we think we understand like less than 5% of it, or we've seen less than 5% of the universe, this God who, you know, spoke the universe into existence, who stands outside of the universe. This God loved us so much, even when we rebelled against him. Yeah. he, He chose to die for us. Yeah. That's powerful. What about some other scriptures that are, that relate to this idea, because I think that here's the thing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of like self-help uh, material out there. Um, yeah. Even in the Christian sure world, what we share is grounded in the scriptures. So, yeah. you know, this idea of standing um, it's a, it's a great concept. And I certainly, I certainly under re- relate with a lot of what we're talking about, but I want to make sure that our listeners understand that this is biblical stuff. Yeah, but I do want to go, let's go back to another passage uh, in Ephesians that we talked about before. But I, let's talk about it again because it really is important. And by the way, I think that a lot of this self Christian self help stuff, Christian self help stuff, right? Christian advice is well meaning. People, it, but it comes from people who have the single line paradigm, and they're saying you need some help climbing up the line. I know it's most tough for you down there being a, a, a two or a three like you are. Let me give you some help. They want to inspire you. Wouldn't it be, don't you want to hear those words? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. They want to you know, cajole you to make you move up the line. They think they're doing you a favor and giving you self-help so you can 
you know, exert more hard work and effort to climb up the line and be a better Christian. It's just going to mess you up further until you really get the gospel understanding of Christianity and, and how it's supposed to work. But Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10, you want me to read it, Greg, or do you have it? I got it. Go ahead. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive in, with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Mm. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right. Absolutely. So the key there, and we, we mentioned this when we did the overview of all the five S's, but it bears repeating, so let's really dwell on it now. The key there is that all these verbs are in the past tense. God knew we were dead in our transgressions, right? You were dead, completely dead, but he made us alive. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him. He doesn't say, look, it's not like some film where he says, you were a diamond in the rough. But with a little bit of work, I can work with you. And I'm going to give you some grace so that you can you know, work out your problems. And if you really work them out, you can really get yourself to the place where I will save you. That's not Christianity. That's not it. If you, it's not that you know he's going to give you grace to kind of bootstrap your way up so that someday you could be acceptable in his eyes with enough work and effort on your part, a little bit of grace and help. And the people who believe that will say things like, well, God helps those who help themselves. And, you know, if you, you rely on him, he gives you some grace to help you out. He said, that's not it. That's not it. God says, uh, it, the, the minute you accept Christ, the minute you become a Christian, God is, he's, it, it, these great, for these great words, he made us alive with Christ. You have been raised up with him. You are, you are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. It's all been given to you. It's not something you're still, you're not, you're a diamond in his eyes right now. You're not a diamond in the rough that he'll accept you once you work out of your problems and climb up the ladder. Aren't there a lot of people who believe that some of these verses that we're quoting, okay, I, I believe that that's for your salvation. But when it comes to your sanctification, it's got to be hard work and effort. It's got to be, doesn't Paul say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Great point. And I've heard people throw that verse right back. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think the key is in that verse in particular, he doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. It's like working the idea of your salvation, kneading it into your life the way you would knead yeast into a lump of dough. Getting that idea of your salvation into your life so that you can react and respond to it so it can work. So you get the gospel deep into your life so that you can then from that point on grow in, in response, which would actually be another podcast we'll do maybe next time on sequence, because that's an important, once you understand your standing in him, then in proper sequence, you uh, start growing in him.
that reminds me of an illustration that I often share with young Christians. I call it the iceberg illustration. Okay. Just like an iceberg, 90% of it's below the surface, right? Right. You only see 10% of it. So if uh, Christians are like icebergs, then there's a lot going on below the surface. So what's above the surface is maybe our behavior and some of our beliefs that we share. Below the surface are deeply held beliefs. And then below that are core lies that we believe about ourselves. Oh, wow. And then below that would be that we were created by God to receive and give love. That God made human beings to give and receive love in the depths of our beings, way down at the bottom of that iceberg is, is, is how we were made for God. Wow. You know, and so the idea of this illustration is that for so many people, the gospel doesn't go deep enough. The message of the cross only barely, barely dips below the, the surface of the iceberg. Yeah. And that, so we might, we can talk Christian talk, but our lives haven't really been changed because we haven't pushed the gospel deep enough. So we have to push through those core lies that we believe about ourselves, which by the way, an example of a core lie would be, I'm a failure. Yeah. I'm unlovable. I'm still in love. Right. Right. Absolutely. Or another example of a core lie could be I'm invincible. Oh yeah. Right. Right. The other direction. So it's lies related to pride and lies related to like beating ourselves up and saying we're, we're unlovable, we're failures. And I think that so many Christians, the gospel, and I share this with believers and it, it seems to make sense to them. I just share like how the cross sometimes for so many Christians, it doesn't go deep enough. It needs to go all the way down to the depths of our being. Wow. And that's part of working out our salvation. That's deep, Greg. That's great. Maybe we can include this in your book. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe the the cross, you know, deep driving into the iceberg, splitting the iceberg. I I don't know. Like that. Because the key to change is really for the gospel to grow from the inside out, not outside in. Well, so I think that kind of goes to that point that so much of your change comes not from the exertion of effort, but change comes from changes in your understanding. So if you, so, so, and I, and I think if you're a Christian leader and you know, um, and you've done this, Greg, you've been in Christian leadership positions for a long time. And if you really have that single line paradigm, you think using guilt and fear or guilt and pride, you can use that to get people to, to move up the single line, right? You can say, you don't want to be a bad Christian, do you? You don't want to be a back, backsliding Christian, right? Remember, you ever heard this phrase like, you, you know, you don't want to come into heaven smelling of smoke, do you, right? Because God's going to burn away the, the wheat from the chaff or there's some verse like that. And you don't want to come in the you know, pearly gates smelling of smoke, do you? And you're trying to play to someone's guilt of like, you don't want to be a, a two in the Christian life, right? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. You're right. You're right. And you, as a leader, you, you, you could say that out of the single line paradigm, because you think you're doing them a favor because you want to move them up the line. And it, it's, it's not, it's not helping. It's not gospel driven change. It's just going to, it's just going to make people feel more miserable and more filled with guilt. And at the same time, the, the pride, you don't want, you want to hear those wonderful worlds. That's, that's why I keep repeating this, this well done, a good and faithful servant appealing to your pride. It'll make the people invincible in your, in what you were saying before, right? It just makes the matters worse because now you just have the sin of pride. You feel like you're proud, you know, nine or 9.5. And it's making your sin nature even worse. It's so important to grasp what we're talking about. And, and the reason why I'm excited to keep doing these podcasts is because 
my heart and my passion is for discipleship, disciple making, helping people to know Christ, make him known and helping other people do the same, going deep in discipleship. And one of the mistakes that ministries will make is we don't address the deeper issues. Like, in other words, like you said, we use guilt or pride to disciple people. So right. we say, you know, you need to read your Bible more. Uh, right. You need to memorize these scriptures. We, we work on the spiritual disciplines, but, and we basically we, we say, if you're doing these spiritual disciplines, then you're, then you're a disciple and then you're making disciples. Right. But the problem is it can often be the whole motivation for people doing this could be from guilt or pride instead of from inside out change, right. you know, and that's, that's one of the things that, that's one of the reasons why I, I came up with this iceberg illustration is that, yeah, I can tell people how to, how they should grow. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you should memorize scripture more. You should read your Bible daily. You should attend church regularly. Mm -hmm. You should pray every day. Those are all great things, mm -hmm. but if you don't understand gospel-driven sanctification, you're going to be doing them for all the wrong reasons. That's right. You're going to be doing them as little markers on your way up the single line. You'll be using those to climb up. And by the way, so if you're successful with those things and you really do get someone to do that stuff, you build that spiritual pride. If the person is not responsive to you and they say, oh, you're right, I'm sorry, we're meeting again, I didn't memorize my verses, I'm so sorry, then they're racked with guilt and eventually they say, I can't do this anymore, I'm no good. So the way I think those disciplines, but those disciplines are really important. They're really important. And they've been important for Christians for thousands of 2000 years. It, it, all for thousands of years, Christians have written about these. Those are really important spiritual disciplines, right? You're not supposed to abandon those. And, and this is probably one of the objections when people talk to people about the gospel driven change. I'll say, well, it's just, that's ridiculous. What do you mean your standing is 100% complete? It's too easy. He just gives it to you. But if, if that was the case, why would you ever do anything good? And if, that, if you feel that way, then you're not understanding fully what he did for you to give you that standing and it, what it cost him to give you that standing. And it, that's what we talked about when we talked about substitution a uh, couple podcasts ago, what, what it took for what it cost him to take your place. And then when you do get that, and in the, uh, the two-line illustration that we were talking about, how the one line going down represents your sin, the one upper line going up represents your deepening understanding, deepening awareness of his holiness, and the cross fills that gap. Whenever I draw that out now, I'll take that little drawing and on the right side, I'll draw a little bunch of arrows pointing at the cross, pointing at the cross, pointing at the cross. People say, what are those little arrows? What does that mean? Those are the Christian disciplines. Because before, when I was a miserable Christian, I was memorizing, the, doing those verse, those things, memorizing the verse and all that stuff. There's a little notch on my belt and, you know, a little notch up the ladder, thinking it was, you know, how many here, well done, the good faithful servant. And then I had to say, well, what do you, what is the verse about that you're reading? You go to a Bible study. What are you studying about? It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's about him. So the disciplines are important. They're really important to focus your heart back on the gospel, back on what he did for you, back on what he did for you. So you're more grateful for what he did. And then your life does change, but all in the right perspective. And if, but if you don't have the right understanding going in, you know, it's either going to make you full of pride or miserable when you drop out. Man, that is so awesome. I love you sharing that because it's crazy that two people can outwardly look the same. Yeah. But then one is operating out of 
you know, the, the, they're standing in Christ. The other one is operating out of works based, you know, yeah. sanctification. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you're right. You can see it and you say, I can't, from the outside, they look the same. And then other times you do see, and you can tell, like, here's someone who's filled with, you know, that spiritual pride didn't make people miserable in a different way. They become bitter. They can be condescending to other people. They're not very warm or inviting. They think they're winning at this game. And, and that, that's not attractive, Christian. That's true. That's true. Once you get to know those, those two people at first glance look the same. Right. But if you start talking to them, you'll figure out because one will either the spiritual pride will come out in some right. way, or the other thing that will come out is the guilt and the misery, misery. and the tiredness. <laughs> yeah. And you can kind of tell that they're on the wrong operating system. Remember I told you this story about the guy we were in Bible study. We went to breakfast after Bible study and he was saying, I said, how you think you, you know, you're doing the Christian life. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel so bad. I never feel like I'm doing enough. And we actually, we sat and talked about the concept of standing, this exact doctrine, this exact idea that when you accept Christ at that moment, all your sin is transferred to him. All your, his righteousness is transferred to you. And he declares you righteous at that moment. You're not waiting for it. You're not waiting that some, some day you'll be, you'll, you'll get that right now. And it was so transformational for him. It was like a big weight lifted. He told me in years later, he said, that was so huge. Understanding the doctrine of standing was like a weight lifted from my shoulders. But if you don't get this right, it's going to mess up your whole Christian life. So let's, uh, let's kind of bring this to a close. We're declared righteous. The Bible says we're declared righteous the moment that we accept Christ. Right. That he sees us as righteous. That's right. He takes, and, and that will take away our, our guilt and our fear. Right. How does that relate to, you know, because Jesus does say one day when we appear before him, he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well, I can't say that I thought of this. I heard this from, uh, it's right from Tim Keller at one of his sermons, but he said, you got to think that maybe, maybe, just maybe the servant in that sentence isn't you. It's not about you. And I think he's exactly right because the whole point of substitutionary atonement of legal, the legal transference that God has taken all my sin on him and given all Jesus's righteousness to me means that that is what God looks at in my eyes. When God says, well done, the good and faithful servant, he's talking about the suffering servant Jesus from Isaiah 53, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus is the, serve, the suffering servant who took, took my place and suffered for me in my place. So what's wow. that, how's that, how's that hymn go that we sing sometimes? Um, for God, the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. He's going to say, yes, well done, well done, the good and faithful servant. And what he's looking at is the servant is Jesus. It's not us at all. That's, that's where my standing comes from. So it's Christ in us. It's not about, we're not like, hey, God, look at all this. Look at what I've done. Not for a minute. Not for a minute. And we'll get, someday we'll get to that because that's why that whole idea of your Christian performance, your life does change. You do become better. You, like you, you mentioned Jerry Bridges before. He was, his life was, he was an incredible believer. But it's a dotted line. It's not your focus. It's not your awareness. I mean, look, not, if, if any of us had to stand there before God and say, look at my record, look what I did, none of us would stand. And that's why we, you know, we started off, you asked me what the quote was. That's why I wanted this quote from. 
that hymn from James Proctor, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet and stand in him and him alone gloriously complete. I'm only complete because of him and what he did. Uh, not, not because of my record at all. I want to do those things for him. I want to perform for him. I want to, I want to be a good person. That's great. In loving response, it just doesn't count for my standing. And my standing is what is given to me by him, not anything I earn. I think that that's a good place to, to stop for today. Thank you for listening to the Gospel Attic Podcast. And I hope you can join us for our next episode, which is going to be on the topic of sequence. So stay tuned for our next episode.